0: Created live on Fireside. Welcome to Office Hours with Dr. DeVoe. This is the next evolution of professional development in higher education. Every week, it is my honor to bring to you higher education thought leaders, topics of note, Current trends and new information to ponder. Shows are replayed on Apple Podcasts, Spotify Podcasts, iHeartRadio Podcasts, and right here on Fireside. You can subscribe, rate, and share on your favorite podcast app. Um, today, we are starting a three-part series. series excuse me, with Beyond Transfer. Uh, the Beyond Transfer Policy Board, PAB, was issued, has issued a series of white papers referred to as the, quote, no easy answer series. The PAB is a group of 12 experts, uh, practitioners, who are laser focused on equity and understanding how complex transfer and credit mobility are. The series highlights several challenges to the transfer process and digs deep into the layers of questionable business practices that have become standards in higher education. This three-part series will bring together members of the PAB who are writers and contributors to the white papers and will unpack their findings and recommendations. In this first show, we are gonna start by looking at the flaws of transfer enrollment strategy. The standard practice of transfer enrollment has structural issues that are hampering uh, completion rates of students who are seeking to benefit from attaining a bachelor's degree from how destination campuses view transfer credits to the financial business modeling, the overall business and process of transfer student recruitment, as well as the enrollment uh, practices that need to be fixed. Uh, for this episode, we are joined by Lexa, L- Lexa Logue, Shanna Smith-Jaggers, and Marty Alvarado. I'm going to ask everybody to introduce themselves. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to point to you. I'm going to point to you. I'm going to use your name, and I'm going to say, hey, and I'm going to ask you to just... You've got very impressive bios, so when we do the replay and when I... Uh, put this out uh, on the Apple Podcast, et cetera, on the show notes, it will have all the information on your bios um, in in uh, black and white, crystal clear, and you know, panorama. Okay, But for right now, I want you to tell the audience why this issue of transfer student uh, attainment uh, is so important to you. So I'm going to start with Lexa, then I'm going to go to Shanna, and then I'm going to go to Marty. Lexa, Tell us where you're at and why this is so important to you. Oop, you gotta take yourself off mute. <laughs> it's okay.
1: Can you help? Yeah. Okay, is there that better? Yeah, Okay. I can
0: hear you. So yeah. You tell us about yourself and why this is so important to you.
1: So um, I'm Lexa Logue. I'm a research professor at the City University of New York. Um, important things, I guess, to know is that I'm trained as an experimental psychologist but I've also had a lot of administrative experience, including as the chief academic officer of the CUNY system. And why this is important to me is because as an administrator, I became extremely aware of, uh, at CUNY, CUNY has 20 undergraduate colleges, enormous amount of transfer. Um, The community college students have had a lot of difficulty transferring to the colleges that give bachelor's degrees. And uh, students are disadvantaged as a result. Um, And I became very aware of that as an administrator and wanted to bring research skills to the situation to try to understand why um, uh, these problems exist and how we could address them.
0: Thank you so much. Now, Shanna's going to be invited back up to the stage. I know she just... uh just ghosted herself off the stage. So I'm going to go to Marty while Shannon gets herself fixed. And I want to call your attention to something. Fireside has some buttons along the bottom of your screen. There is a microphone with a slash through it. Do not touch that button. That takes you off the stage. Um, And so, and then the microphone uh, that's next to the emojis, that's your actual microphone. So if you have to mute yourself for any reason, that's the one to go. All right. So we're going to go with Marty first, then we're going to Shanna. So Marty, where you're at, uh, and why is this such an important uh, topic for you?
2: Absolutely. Uh, I'm the vice president uh, of jobs of post-secondary education and training at Jobs for the Future, JFF. Uh, joined a couple of months ago and prior to that spent... Um, a lot of time in the California Community College system, 116 campuses, uh, 29 local, uh, almost closer to 30 public uh, receiving institutions. Um, so transfer is a big topic in California, yes. as it is nationally. And, um, you know, why it's so important to me is that Our community colleges, both in California and nationwide, serve the preponderance of our students that are low-income, diverse minorities, first-generation, and so their ability to seamlessly transition to a four-year opportunity is critical. Um, That's my why, always. So great.
0: Fantastic. Thank you. And Shanna, how are you? Tell us where you're at and why this is so important to you.
3: Hi, I'm Shawna Jaggers, I'm the Assistant Vice Provost and I direct the Student Success Research Lab at Ohio State University, and there we uh, identify challenges to student success and potential solutions for those challenges, and we support implementation and assessment of programs and services, Uh, but before coming to Ohio State, um, where I do a lot of research on transfer students, uh, I worked at the Community College Research Center, um, and we did research with community college systems across the country. Um, and I should say, we did a lot of work in partnership with organizations like Jobs for the Future, uh, where Marty is now. Um, I remember that one college president used to say that uh, Jobs for the Future was their personal trainer, and we were their scale for their institution. Ah. <laughs> and if you want to improve outcomes in community colleges, you have to focus a lot on transfer, because most students want to transfer. And when you do research in the field, talk to faculty and staff at community colleges, you'll see that they're really focused on the four-year colleges in their area and trying to really stay aligned with those colleges, but a lot of the four-year colleges don't really reciprocate. Um, Like, for example, a lot of four-year colleges will change their curricular requirements without really thinking to consult with their feeder community colleges, and when you see the consequences of that on the ground for community college students and faculty, you think, we need to fix this. Because nobody wants to hurt these students. Right. There's a right. mixed-up tangle that we need to untangle to change things, and so that's what that's what we're trying to do with this. And that
0: gets to the the main uh, subheading of your white paper as a no easy answers. And you know, there's I, I'm I am absolutely um, overwhelmed by the you know what I'm going to call the uh, the your your lineage between the three of you in terms of your backgrounds with uh, this population of students. And what we know is that uh, being that there is no easy answer, um, and all three of you are so connected to this, as you were kind of working alongside one another for the writing of of these papers, um, and there is going to be a link to the papers in the recap. So you can get a link to this. You're going to be able to have all the resources uh, and all of that. But as you were talking to one another, Ohio, New York, California, we are, we are well represented in terms of uh, kind of spaces of, uh, of our, our campuses and the humans that uh, populate these campuses, right? When you were talking to folks, did you feel like there's an understanding behind this series that that people may be, may be able to resonate in a different way? The reason I bring this up, and I want you to all think about this, is that, you know, in my 30 years in higher ed, the idea of partnership with uh, a community college. So when I was at Mount Ida College, we were looking at doing uh, articulation agreements with some of the local campuses here in Massachusetts. And it was such a heavy lift to make these articulation agreements actually happen. It was major by major, not just, you know, we're going to look at the entire, uh, uh, not even major by major, it like uh, program by program. Okay. So if it was if it was psychology okay it was that little part of psychology but it couldn't be an entire department or it couldn't be an entire division we make these fiery hoops so hard for ourselves and when you were talking to one another and you came up with this idea of no easy answers was there a a something you say this is something that cuts through it doesn't matter if you're new york ohio or california something that people really need to know about this challenge So I'm, I'm wondering if any of you have a thought on that, Lexa, go ahead. I want to make sure you're off mute.
1: Doing it again. Okay.
0: Okay. All right. Unless you're going to cough or drink.
1: (laughs) Okay. Which I'm not going to do. All right. So, um, I think when you look at, uh, there are a couple things. One is the way the financial incentives are set up for colleges that make them interested in promoting uh, their own uh, situation. And transfer, by definition, involves an interaction between more, than, between more than one college. And so if everybody is being rewarded for um, their just their own success, that makes it very difficult for the cooperation to occur. The other thing, which is um, throughout the paper, is that humans, um, like other species, uh, discount delayed events and they yes. overvalue uh, near events. And so, what that happens is that people in a college who are running a college or who are faculty and making choices about um, about credit uh, accepting credits they are thinking about what it's going to get them in the short term, as opposed to the long term. What it's is gonna get them in the short term is more enrollment, right? Um, People will, if their credits are denied when they come into the college, they're gonna have to take more colleges, that means more tuition. But in the long term, that's where there are then problems Mm. because the students are more likely to drop out and not finish if their credits are denied.
0: And we're going to get into, uh, we're going to go deeper into that a little later on two things that you brought up, Lexa, terminology, uh, how we mm-hmm. refer to these students, and then mm-hmm. the idea of how we actually uh, assess uh, the credentials coming in. How do we actually award that credential with uh, uh, the credit hours uh, at the, des- what I like to call the destination <laughs> campus. I use that in my, in my dissertation. <laughs> Not gonna, I want that to take off. I want Destination Campus to take off. Um, uh, do I, do, does, uh, any other thoughts on this in terms of some broader kind of what are some things we need to know, Marty or Shauna?
2: I'll jump in on this one also. Um, I think about one of our very first meetings uh, as, a, as an advisory and sort of um, not knowing too many of the folks around the table, just sort of putting it out there saying, hey, we've been talking, as a sector, we've been talking about transfer for decades, right? So are we just going to try to think about a new program, which is a surface fix, Mm -hmm. um, and what is often the default? Because it is easiest to implement, right? right? And it's easiest to sell. We're going to create a new program. It's going to help these students. But every new solution we have historically taken, right, creates more complexity Mm -hmm. for our students who are looking to transfer. Yeah. And so I, it was not only heartwarming, but truly inspirational to work with these leaders as, as we all just sort of took on the big challenge, that this can't be a one-off new program that overcomplicates the system uh, and the path for students looking to transfer, but really dig into these hard topics of financing, incentives, motivations, discouragements, culture, all the components even how we label students and how we label this activity of transfer, um, and and how we think about it relative to some populations of students versus native students um, yeah. to four-year institutions, and so I think, I think we're really trying to change the conversations that we have, which will have an influence on the solution sets we begin to look at as we think about credit mobility, and this path of navigating the higher education ecosystem. And I think that's a really critical component. And it was heartwarming.
0: That's great. And it also makes you not feel like you are screaming into a vacuum that you're the only person who feels something. It's always nice to be in a space and you're like, okay, it's not just me. All right, good. I'm not nuts. Okay, <laughs> that's good. Shana, anything you want to add?
3: Now I, I think that uh Lexa and Marty uh covered it uh very well and I, I, I love Lexa's point and would like to reinforce it that you know there are just not very many incentives or s- frameworks for institutions right. to work together. Um and so that's that is part of what we would like to forward. With this work. And you would
0: think that the incentive would be the public good, but anyway, let's let's not let let's not get crazy. Okay, so let's move into the terminology because this actually came up front and center, and you really start to read these these uh these pieces. Um and uh I want to talk about some of the key terms used in the series. The use of the term transfer student is not used by the Beyond Transfer PAB. Rather yeah. than to use the term, students who transfer and can benefit from improved credit mobility. That's a big, that's a mouthful. But tell us why that is so important. I'd like one person to kind of jump on that. Would someone like to be the definition person? Okay, Lexa.
1: I'll start. Um, because the huge majority of students now have credits from somewhere else than the place they graduate from. Okay? It's, it's very simple. So it's not just transfer students. People also get, credit, you know, like dual enrollment courses in high school where yes. students take college courses in high school. That's been growing hugely. Yes. And so a lot of students have credits from that. We, there are military veterans who have credit from training, great training programs that they had in the military. There are people who have credit from, um, you know, AP courses, from CLEP exams, um, for all kinds of different prior learning experiences that they've had. Every, you know, most people now, most students, have something like this. And all of these experiences need to be recognized and feed into their getting a college degree.
0: Absolutely. And, and that's something from the definition and looking at this. That's one of the things that really opened my eyes when I was looking at this white, at this series of white papers is that we have been so granular, in our definitions when it comes to uh, who these students are, and this idea of everyone looks the same. They were somebody who started at a community college and they then went to a four-year institution and not this broader, broader definition that you just provided us, which I think is super important. And I do wanna plug, if you are looking at more information on veteran students, we had our three part series on veterans and making sure your campus is veteran friendly. So go back and listen to that at another time. Um, You know, I wanna talk about the stigma associated with the term transfer student that was also brought up in the white paper. Um, And um, or Marty, if you have thoughts on this, how are we seeing this in practice today? And how has it become a larger stigma over time? Um, and uh, what are your thoughts on why that's happening? So uh, Shannon or, or Marty, your thoughts on that?
3: Well, sometimes that uh, selective institutions, particularly you'll hear, mm-hmm. you'll hear faculty say that, oh, transfer students, they couldn't get in through the front door of our institution yeah. by meeting our admission requirements. Yeah. So they had to come in through the back door, which sort of automatically others the student as sort of not belonging to this institution. Yeah. Um, and people who sort of have that, that rhetorical framework don't really consider the fact that the transfer admission standards are probably a more realistic measure of the student's actual ability because they're based on how that student actually performed in a college setting rather than being an estimate of how they might perform. Um, But that kind of belief that students who transferred from a community college aren't really our students can be really pervasive at some institutions and students really feel that. And so a lot of times they never tell anyone, especially not their faculty or their instructors, that they're transfer students. And so this is not a recipe for building a community of transfer students or feeling like you belong at the institution and that your faculty care about um, your success. I don't know if the stigma is getting more across time. I think, I mean, at some of the institutions I've worked with, I feel like the stigma is going away across time because people are actually addressing it and trying to work through it. but. That may not be representative. Right.
0: Um, I think I wonder if it's maybe state by state because there's some there's some states, and we're gonna you know touch on this over the course of the three shows. There's some states that actually have a, a pretty comprehensive start at a community college and move your way through to a four year to the to the you know the the flagship kind of process. We had a person on in our first. Uh, our first season, who works out of Kentucky, and her whole job is being that point of contact for students coming in uh, who have other um, credentials and are able to make this, this a very seamless experience. And one of the things she was talking about is they moved away from your traditional transfer orientation because they found that students didn't attend transfer orientation um, and get out of it what they really wanted them to. They found that this almost concierge approach was better, um, and it allowed for them to identify what students actually came. In that idea of like what Lexa brought up, this student might have a package of credits from a million different spaces, and it allows for them to say, okay, you're coming in with with this, whereas person next to you is coming in with this. Let's make sure that you are getting everything you need to make sure that you are getting through and earning that degree in X amount of time um, and heightening uh, the possible success of the students. They've kind of moved away from what is your traditional Idea of a transfer student orientation um, and moving to that. So I, I'm I wonder if it might be and I, and I think one of our later shows we're going to really be talking about uh, free community college in some of these states and how that might have uh, changed uh, some of the makeup of uh, how how students come in with credits and earn credits and and how that looks. Um, I want to talk about the business of transfers next. Um, but I want to quote from the white paper because I don't want to mess this up. It says you, It says in the white paper, while not widely discussed, institutions can sustain long-term financial harm and instability by rejecting transfer credits and impeding credential completion. Focused on short-term financial rewards, institutional actors target maximization of immediate tuition revenue. That mindset leads actors to not uh, to not apply the maximum credits to the degree completion, creating short-term gains in the form of students retaking courses and paying tuition to the institution. Lexa, this reminds me of what your earlier comments were, and I wanna kick it over to you. I wanna discuss this short-term mindset and why it is such a bad thing for business, for the institution and for the students. Uh, talk to us about how the prioritization of immediate tuition revenue uh, leads to decision-making that, as you say in the paper, denies degree, applicable credit, and harms students. So I'm going to kick it over to you.
1: Well, you, you've you kind of said it, Laura. <laughs> but
0: I so, want you to give, give me, I want to see the, yeah. the dirty bottom underfollow. <laughs>
1: okay, well, <laughs> no, <laughs> well, it's just that, <laughs> you know, students come in, they get their transcripts evaluated, their credits are turned down. They're either made into elective credits or not. They don't get the credits at all. As a result, they have to retake certain courses, um, or uh, you know, and then and then that causes all kinds of other problems because it may mean you know that their financial aid is going to run out before they finish the bachelor's degree, yeah. which is a real problem um, because uh, financial aid is usually limited to taking a certain total number of credits. And so if you have to take extra because your credits were denied, you're not going to finish. Plus, you just get discouraged, incredibly discouraged. Um, Transfer students have uh, a hard problem already in that they usually are not or often not allowed to register until way after the other students at their stage um, in, uh, in college have been allowed to register, which means that a lot of the courses are filled. They don't get the professors they want. So this is also a problem. Um, and, and they don't know, you know, are my credits going to count or not? So there are all kinds of problems involved with this denial of credits. Yes, yes. Uh, and then in the long term, if they drop out, well, they're, where's the tuition from them?
0: Right, right. And, and it and it hurts the student financially because then it, it starts what I like to call, they're chasing the dragon's tail. They're trying to pay off the debt. They're trying to get this and they can't they just can't get out of their own way. And so when people say, well, why haven't you finished? It's like, well, I have this bill to pay. I can't this, I've run yeah. out of financial aid. I don't know where else to go. Okay.
1: Yeah, and what a lot of people, oh, I'm just gonna add this one thing that don't know is a lot of the debt that never gets paid back is due to students who don't, don't finish.
0: Yeah.
1: And so if we can help students finish, we will get rid of a lot of that debt.
0: Absolutely, amen. Uh, Shana, go ahead.
3: Yeah, the the other long term consequence of uh, being an institution that doesn't really accept credits uh, seamlessly is that students uh, at your feeder institutions start to notice that Mm -hmm. they hear that from other students who have transferred. They start hearing it from advisors, transfer advisors, and they think, oh, well, I'm not I'm not going to go there. I'll go someplace else that will take my credits more easily. They stop looking at your institution as an option. And that's not great in states that are facing a decrease in their number of high school graduates. They need to be a lot more attentive <laughs> to the population that is out there and wants to go to their to their uh, institution. Absolutely, that gets to this idea of that
0: of, the, of how the credits are evaluated. Um, and we've done an entire series, as I mentioned earlier, about veteran friendly campuses. Um, And we spoke about the relevance of credit applicability in that that series and how uh, specifically how veterans get uh, frustrated um, or even mentally defeated um, when they're trying to find their way into uh, an institution and they're told that doesn't count. Um, And that hurts. I mean, that that tells the veteran that the work that they put in and their service um, doesn't matter. Um, even though that they've put in a lot of um, time, effort, and, you know, frankly, blood, sweat, and tears on this, right? Um, So, you know, Marty, I want to ask you this question. Reviewing and evaluating course credits is a huge administrative lift. Like, I've done it myself. I've had to sit with my registrar at my last institution when we were uh, trying to clean up some stuff. Uh, What did your research turn up about how the application of credits actually hurts the institution and Shanna brought some of this up, but like talks about like, besides that idea of that your institution is now known as not a a transfer friendly place to go. What are some other aspects of this that institutions need to start to pay attention to um, in terms of uh, how it affects them and then how does it actually affect the students? Uh, Does it go um, beyond uh, their feeling of belonging? Does it go beyond their feeling of I can finish? Anything else that is notable from what you found? Oh, I think you're on mute. I want to make sure you're off. There you go. Can you hear me now? Yeah, Absolutely.
2: Okay. I'm and I feel like I'm frozen on my screen, so I hope I'm not frozen with you, you all. You're
0: dancing like like Beyonce. You are. Okay. Booming.
2: Perfect. Sorry about that. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, you know, I'll I'll speak to this a little bit from a California perspective because one of the things that we were seeing in California is um, the discrepancy between the acceptance rate of students mm-hmm. into our public four years, 30-some-odd thirty public four-year institutions, CSUs and UCs, um, but low yield rates, lower mm-hmm. yield rates, right? Okay. You're not actually converting the students who are accepted into full uh, enrollments and, and whatnot. And so I, I think... This speaks to some of what my colleagues were talking about relative to, you're seeing patterns, we're seeing patterns of students opting not to take those acceptance uh, uh, letters and turn them into uh, active enrollments in a four-year institution. And we can guesstimate on why all of the reasons are, However, some of, uh, some of our conversations with students in California, uh, some of the California research really turned up that it is, students can't access financial aid in timely manners. Um, they can't uh, get a clear picture of where, what their standing is. And because of all the programming that has been layered in to support transfer, um, it's not always clear which vehicle they're being accepted Uh, through uh, and what will count and what will not count and the equivalency process because it is so one-to-one-to-one-to-one and across every institution, at least again in California specific, um, my course over here may have um, may have been accepted from the community college to this particular four-year, but not that particular four-year. And now I have to wait, and now I have to reapply in some instances when it doesn't get processed in time. And I think this also speaks to this bigger challenge of um, what you pointed out, which is that it is a manual process in many instances. There's no automation. Um, there's no sort of assumed um you know, you, you've gone to a, a, well, let me say it this way. You've gone to a community college, which is a college. It is right. an institution of higher education. And right. <laughs> right? Um, yeah. and yet there's still this culture of it may be less than. And so we need to take a look at it at the four year and judge it. Um, and we call it looking under the hood here in California. So, um, There there are so many challenges, I think, to your question, though, why should four-year institutions care? I mean, with the declining enrollment and the continued um, growing mistrust in higher education, I think those are aspects that we really need to take into consideration as a higher ed industry um, to really think about, you know, how are we being student-centered and facilitating this concierge style? Because the for-profits are definitely doing that.
3: Yeah.
0: We have to stop acting like we're a secret society like i mean i'm serious like this is beyond this is beyond the pale when it comes to things like does this credit count does this course count How, what is the actual cost of doing business what is tuition valued at like we need to stop making this into more than it needs to be uh, if i can it, oh go ahead if i can oh.
2: add one one more thought on this because we also see a different approach with the K-12 incoming graduating population relative to community colleges. So when higher ed wants to do it, they are able to, right? right? But it's also a value statement, right? There's a value in or a belief around graduating high school students versus community college or military or prior prior learning or whatever those other credits are. And I think that's a piece we also have to wrestle.
0: Right. The AP credits are very good. The AP credit. Look, how many AP credits do you have? And you know, I, I have a sophomore in high school. She's going to be taking AP courses next year. And you know, she's. I, I keep saying to her, I'm like, you know, it's great. I, 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 that's wonderful. But to Lex's point earlier, um, no, I think Shanna said it earlier. I apologize. That what you actually earn in college is going to be different. And this, actually, in some ways, I'd rather you take that introductory level course in the college environment because you're going to actually get it in a different way. It's going to be served to you in a different way than they do in a high school place. But I'm the wacky parent. Okay, Lexa had something. Yeah,
1: I just I just wanted to add uh, two points about time that the students that we're um, mostly talking about, but not entirely, the community college students who are transferring to the, um, to the uh, bachelor's colleges, as Shauna said, they are um, often um, from backgrounds where they're disadvantaged. You know, they, they are Pell Grant recipients, they are often first generation college students from underrepresented um, racial and ethnic groups And they have a lot of challenges in terms of going to college. When we don't count their courses, make them repeat courses, make them take longer, what we're doing is giving them longer period of time for them to finish, which means that there are more opportunities for their lives to interfere with their finishing college, for something to happen that's gonna make them drop out. And they don't have the resources to deal with that. So we need to get them through with quality, but as efficiently as possible. The other thing I'd like to point out, which people don't often talk about, is that when we're saying that institutions are having short-term, responding to short-term incentives, it doesn't help that there's a lot of turnover often in the administration of these colleges. And in fact, the data show that the length of time that people are spending in presidencies has been going significantly down which, um, and there aren't data on the, you know, other administrators, but I'm guessing if the presidencies are going down, the others are going down too. And it makes it very difficult for the administration to expect the administration to be focusing on these long-term consequences if they're thinking in their heads that they're not even going to be there when these long-term consequences happen.
0: Absolutely. That is, I love what you just said, because I think that This gets this is a almost an add on to what was said earlier um, and is in the paper about the short term thinking, and I think it all packages up so so incredibly well. Um, We have some questions from the audience Doug Cooper asked sometimes the prestige accreditation of a particular college or department causes a credit to not be equivalent from from a previous school that doesn't have the same accreditation. Uh, in your opinion, and this goes out to anyone, what's supposed to be a good thing? Uh, can this backfire um, about this idea of like, well, where, uh, you know, I know that Doug's at UMass Lowell and they have an excellent engineering program. So that idea of like, well, you didn't get this credit from here, but we've got a better course. Does that backfire when you're this kind of allegedly higher level uh, prestige institution or program? Um, I'm happy to hear from any of you on that thought.
1: Everybody thinks they're better.
0: <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and, uh, Almost everybody. Okay, we're all good. That's, <laughs> it's like everyone thinks they're better, especially, never mind. Okay, so I want. I do have one more question to this before we get on to recommendations and this was interesting to me in the paper it said state institutions are seemingly penalized for enrolling transfer students um i want to talk to shanna about this is that talk to us about how this is being demonstrated um are you seeing this in states where it's free community college as a state policy or is it something else what how is this happening and why well
3: it's not so much that colleges are are Penalized necessarily for uh, for 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 taking more transfer students it's just that they're not really incentivized to do it so yeah, earlier yeah, yeah if, so if states have funding formulas that include retention or graduation, they're usually focused exclusively on retention and graduation of first time students so they don't really have anything to say about uh, students who transfer. And colleges sometimes assume that transfer or students who transfer are going to be more expensive because they're going to enroll in upper division courses, which tend to be um, smaller. Um, or they might assume that the transfer students are going to struggle academically, need more academic support. Um, but these are just assumptions that don't really have evidence um, behind them. So, for example, a lot of upper division courses, just they don't meet their course cap anyway. So having transfer students who can help fill those courses is actually a good financial move. Yep. Um, and, and if you look at all the supports that an institution provides for its first year students, so you know, you think about like built in orientations, seminars, workshops, advising and academic supports, peer mentors, faculty members, mentors, and social events, and especially institutional aid and institutional scholarships. And so if you look at that level of service and support that we structure into the experience of first time students, and you ask, are these equally structured into the experience of transfer students? I think you would see that your transfer students get a lot less services and supports for the same tuition dollars. Um, So so a lot of these sort of assumptions around the disincentives are um, more assumptions than they are fact. um, Or if if in some cases the disincentives do exist, sort of rethinking the processes a little bit could help with that quite a bit. Um, So that's something that I think the audience may find interesting if they're not that familiar with it, is how the process of course um, evaluation actually happens. So Marty kind of referred to it earlier. But in many cases, a student comes up with a transcript, and pieces of the transcript to different parts of the institution. So like the math courses go to the math department. Someone in the math department looks at each course to decide, are we going to accept this course? different person in English looks at the English courses, person in physics looks at the physics courses. These people have other jobs, they have other things to do. So it takes forever. And these people are also expensive, you know, because they are doing other high level jobs. And so not only does it take forever from the student perspective, but it's really expensive to the institution. And there there are better ways to do it. And some some colleges have have done that, um, which we can talk more absolutely. about absolutely so
0: let's let's move into the recommendations because i know that even ai was brought up in some of the some of the white paper and i think now people when you say ai there's a certain part of my brain that says yes it's about time we start to use it, and then the other side of my brain says oh my god it's going to take over my brain okay um so it, you have a step a set of recommendations uh and i uh, want to dig into some of them right here uh shifting the mindset regarding short-term thinking on decisions on credit applicability. So I think that's the first one that, that highlights for me. Um, This relates to what Lexi has said. It talks about what, what even uh, Shana, you were just talking about. You've all talked about this in some way today. Is there something else we need to add to this? Is there something else that we got to move away? I, I actually think that one of the biggest problems um, or challenges to that recommendation is There's two people on the senior administration who need to be put in a room and talk to in a stern way, okay, and that is the CFO and your vice president for enrollment services. Because those two humans have a special relationship with one another. And they're the ones who do the magic math together. And that short-term reality is something that the CFO knows we need to hit this number and turns to the enrollment services person and says, how do we get to that number? Well, we can tweak this, we can do this, we can play with our strategic enrollment plan in this way. Those are the two people that I think need the most finger wag talking to. Am I wrong? Those are
1: important people, but there are lots of other important people too, so like the president. If the president has a view that the value of the college is um, expressed by how many and high quality freshmen they take in, Mm -hmm. that can be a problem.
0: Right. And, and, that, and, and how do you shift that mindset and you actually say, instead of just saying in the first, at, at that big opening meeting of the school year, when does the president say, and let me tell you how many veterans we've brought in. Let me tell you how many students we have that have done X, Y, Z. Let's look at the whole class, not just the ones coming out of the high schools. Marty. Yeah,
2: if I can jump in on this also, because it, it also makes me think about comments that surfaced earlier around the tenure of administrators. Um, and so given the shorter and shorter tenure of administrators, um, and the, um, different challenges that they are facing in our current higher ed culture, I really think there is a critical role that faculty have to play, given that they are often there through everyone's tenure, um, and create a through line. They also are the ones who are, are typically advocating for the gatekeeping, if you will. And I say that lovingly, (laughs) right? Um, Because it it isn't about or it it is about how do we evolve our mindset for this concept of rigor? Yes. the, The student has passed a college level course, right? So it's not a question of are they able to do the coursework at a college level? maybe about my belief about the quality of that course, and then how do, how do I have to wrestle with that as a faculty member? Because that is my bias, that is not truth. Mm-hmm. And so there is, an, there is an aspect here where we have to really evolve from this sort of gatekeeping, preventing someone from getting something they don't deserve or haven't earned mm-hmm. to really facilitating the potential. So if there is a gap, how am I going to augment that gap? Sort of to the point that Shauna made, these transfer students are not getting all of the resources that first-time freshman Native students get. So what are we giving them? And how do we lean into those spaces um, rather than try to prevent people from, from getting in? And I heard a great um, colleague once say, um, you know, when in doubt, default to the student. Default to what's best to, for the students that actually facilitates them
1: getting in.
0: It's a strengths approach, and we have to do more of that. Lexa.
1: So one suggestion is that the way the whole system works now is that a course doesn't transfer unless the faculty member says it should. Mm -hmm. Why not, in as many cases as possible, the course does transfer unless a faculty member can show data that it shouldn't?
3: Yeah, and the the role of the faculty member is is super important, because if uh, the president or the CFO or the enrollment manager um, says, hey, we should change the way that we are doing transcript evaluation, we should do what Lexa is saying, Um, that will allow us to get more students, um, transfer students enrolled. Um, Faculty, absent any other sort of kind of table setting and persuasive campaign at many institutions would revolt. They would they would say, you are compromising our academic quality. This is absolutely unacceptable. And so you, you need to be using other strategies to sort of help faculty understand the value of transfer students and not just their fiscal value because that argument does not work right. with many faculty it's the other values that faculty care about. And um, so like one of those values is academic excellence and academic rigor. And so one way that you can help faculty members sort of connect to and and see that value in their students uh, who transferred is to have more connections with their counterpart faculty at community colleges in your area. And so that could be social events like book clubs. It could be academic events. It could be here in Ohio. We have a lot of cross-institutional partnerships Mm -hmm. where we work on like course learning outcomes together collaboratively across institutions. When you do that and you start meeting the faculty members who teach those courses at those community colleges, you'll find that many times they got their degree from you. And from some of the other most selective institutions in the in the in the state and that they are teaching those courses to the same level of rigor that they were taught when they took that course from you um so just sort of creating more of those personal relationships and that trust between faculty i think can help a lot yeah
1: um i I'd, I'd just like to say what i said didn't say that the faculty didn't have control right right no it it still has them having control and the other thing is um, there's no question that getting faculty together and and having the kind of events and the experience with each other is going to help, but that's an extremely time-consuming strategy that will take a long time to do. And what I'm always thinking about is the thousands and thousands of transfer students who are being hurt every year and how it's time to help them. Um, I, I'd like to, could I throw out a completely different sort yeah. of idea yeah. uh, of a solution, which um, I think also helps to get at um, uh, getting people to recognize long-term effects and also to use the market in ways that will help this whole thing, which is, y- you know how Shana described how how it works with evaluation, credit evaluation. A uh, student comes in, things get ferried here, things get ferried there. And who knows what happens to those credits? The student knows. But does the student, the students at the institution the student came from, do they know what happened? Often they don't know what happened. You know, some information will get out. But you remember how um, Shana was talking about the reputation being so important? Well, let's amplify the reputation. Let's get the information to everybody. So for example, we have developed a tool at CUNY that's an online website that shows how anybody with no login, how any course at CUNY will transfer to any other CUNY college and everybody can see it and everybody knows. Yeah. And also now it shows um, the degree requirements the course will satisfy at the new institution. Right. And so this way, we what we hope is it's gonna do exactly what Shauna said. It's going to, and it is, having students go where their credits are going to be accepted. And in this time of enrollment concerns, right. that puts pressure on the institutions to grant more credit.
0: To, to that point, I have seen several institutions now. Um, University of Massachusetts Amherst, for instance, has a portal. Anyone can see it. If you're thinking of transferring there, you'd plug in your institution um, because I think what it does is it knows where they're feeding students from. And I think that does it hit every college in America? Probably not, but it gives you a good idea of who's coming in and from where. Um, and it you just plug in, what are you bringing and what does it mean? And it gives you a better understanding of what does this actually look like towards your completion. And kudos to them, you could even take a look at you click on it you say i want to major in biology you click on it you see how many credits you've earned towards completion in that oh well let me see how it looks for you know uh animal sciences i want to change the major a little bit oh it looks yeah. like i got to take a few more classes so it allows for people to, to nominate, yeah ours does this too yeah which is awesome like that to me makes a whole lot of sense um, and especially for the community of students right now, we have to lean into the fact that our students are much more tech savvy. They want something that reads more like a DoorDash app than like you have to actually pull out a, a, a paper uh, piece of paper that says, okay, what am I gonna look at? Let me look at all these things. That doesn't make any sense to them and that actually turns them off and we have to provide that opportunity. Um, I want to make sure that we do touch upon one of the things that's linked in the in the uh, white paper is the transfer boost affordability tool. Um, can someone talk a little bit more about that tool and what does that look like uh, so that our listeners understand what that is? Anyone got that or no? Not I. <laughs> We are going to talk about that in upcoming episodes as well, but that is something that's in the in the product and uh, in the final uh, white paper. And that affordability tool is something that's recommended in the paper that institutions actually use it to assess their return on investment of students who transfer and are mobile. So that way, it gets away from that idea of, are, are you causing more debt um, in this? Yeah, it's
1: another crisis? way. It's another way of bringing the long-term consequences closer.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it just sort of helps. Like it's 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 got a like a you know it, it's easier to just sort of like drop down and sort of fill in some information and yeah. get sort of some more straightforward directions about yeah. you know whether or not this might improve your ROA um, well, to it, to make some more, more it, it makes it.
0: Or uh, you're, you're now understanding and you're seeing it in a more vivid color of saying, oh, we've got a problem here. Uh, we're making we're making this harder than it needs to be, and it's hurting the student financially, which which is not which is not good. Um, the white paper also highlights some best practices. Um, and before we lose time today, I want to make sure we talk about this. There's a, a you found a best practice in Virginia, specifically at Northern Virginia. Uh, Community College and George Mason. Um, And anyone here want to talk about what you found there and why it is notable, and you find this to be a a best practice that was highlighted?
3: Well, this this partnership is, I think, really about helping Nova students become part of the George George Mason community even while they're still at Nova, Mm -hmm. Um, and then building in that associate degree completion along the way as part of the bachelor's degree, rather than being this sort of separate thing that is then later um, evaluated to see which pieces of it might apply right. to the George Mason right. degree. Um, and so it's it just creates a much more um, sort of uh, cohesive pathway for the students. So they feel like they are on one path instead yeah. of having to go down one path and then like step off the sidewalk, go across the muddy parking lot or whatever, and then get onto another path, you know.
0: Absolutely, um, next week we're gonna talk about accreditation um, and uh, I wanna tease that out so people know that a week from today, we're gonna to talk about creditors. Um, they've been flying under the radar, keeping their role within higher education landscape to the work of maintaining and ensuring a degree of quality. Um, accreditors have great influence on institutional strategy and priorities and transfer student degree attainment isn't currently an essential aspect of accreditation. Um, The members of the Beyond Transfer Policy Advisory Board believe that without them, the needle on transfer culture shift won't happen. So next week we will be talking um, uh, with some other folks from the uh, PAB about uh, accreditation specifically. Um, I wanna give each of you, um, as we close out our time together, one last chance to kind of uh, give folks some thoughts about if they got nothing else out of this experience, what do you hope they grab on um, what is the thing I want them to grab onto the most um, and uh, so I want you to think about that as we're kind of marinating on next week um, following that uh, coming up in June we have our final show uh, which will be really about uh, transfer how, what the uh, experience is for the students and why financially we need to do better by them and what are some of the financial uh, uh, difficulties of the transfer process. Um, and so we're on our sign out, I want to go, I'm gonna start with Marty, then we're gonna to go to Shana and then we're gonna to go to Lexi. Um, and so tell us what you hope people really grab from this um, and uh, why you uh, think this is so important. So uh, Marty, go ahead.
2: Sure. Um- I hope what people grab from this is that it's time to have honest conversations about our beliefs and where the structural structures of our institutions reinforce, um, you know, inequitable and or uh, you know uh, biased um, biased processes yes. uh, relative to our students who are achieving credit or accumulating credit outside of home institutions. Uh, could even be from other four-year institutions. It's not just community college, so it's from Correct. anywhere. Um, and, I, and that it's time to have those honest conversations about how our beliefs are influencing and reinforcing the problematic structures. And then if we want to change it, we can. We saw that in the pandemic. Yes. When it matters to us, we do it.
0: Yes. And so I,
2: I, I want to encourage us all to rest
0: I, I want to highlight that. We made all kinds of wonderful changes to our uh, transactional work on, during the pandemic with offices open, different hours to how people actually engage, whether it be in person or through some kind of portal. And then all of a sudden we're like, oh, it's over. We don't need this anymore. And, and I, it, it literally makes my head explode. So uh, so there you go. Thank you, Marty. Shana.
3: Uh, Yeah, I I want to uh, underline what Marty said in in that, you know, many times transfer students are either invisible or people had completely mistaken sort of assumptions or conceptions um, about them. And part of changing process and policy is changing those perceptions. Um, So I want to do a little bit of log rolling for another report that I have out that you can just Google it. It's called Engaging Faculty Values to Develop Supportive Transfer Cultures. Um, And it gives you some some specific tools that if you're a transfer champion on your campus and you want to get more people on your campus sort of on board with the transfer mission, um, we give some really specific tools and ideas about how to start to shift that culture Mm -hmm. um, on your Mm -hmm. campus.
0: Fantastic. Culture shift's important and you can log roll all you want. That's, it's very important. All right, Lexa. Uh,
1: well, I hope that what people get out of this is that transfer is and credit mobility is incredibly common and that people are having enormous difficulties with it. And what happens as a result is that we um, waste the people's time, the students' time, and we waste their money, but we're also wasting time and money of our society. We're doing great damage to our society with this, and so we need to fix it.
0: Yes, absolutely. I will say this, my big takeaways from today are as follows. Number one, stop trying to get the sugar rush. You need to actually have transformational change that is long-term, brings students in, has a Worldview that says we are going into a deep dive in terms of the number of students who are traditional and eligible to come to college and university. We need to do business better. Let's look at let's look at long term. This is a marathon, not a sprint. Is what I'm saying. Number two, start to celebrate every type of student enrolling in the fall. We are not just going to be saying the we have pulled students from these high schools in these states, we need to celebrate our veterans, we need to celebrate our students who started in community college, we need to find our students who have, are here for degree completion. We need to highlight the fact that our community is made up of more than one type of individual. And the last thing is check yourself. Check yourself look at your processes make sure that you are not creating things going to what marty said is this idea of are we do we have hoops to jump through do we have fiery hoops to jump through okay it's hoops are one thing fiery hoops are a completely different thing and that's not great for your students so i want to thank all three of you this has been lovely i hope you've had a nice day it is my birthday so I want happy, to birthday. Birthday. happy, happy birthday. birthday happy birthday
1: thank you laura
0: thank you all and this has been fantastic um office hours with dr devoe is a live audio broadcast aired and recorded weekly through the fireside platform i am your host dr laura devoe And I thank you for listening. Be sure to subscribe to my newsletter, What's Up in the Academy. It is the number one higher education newsletter on the Substack platform. And follow me here on Fireside, Post News, LinkedIn. There are all sorts of ways to engage with me in the uh, show notes. And you will have all the bios for our wonderful guests. Now, get on out there and learn something, everybody. Have a great day.
1: Bye. Oh, we're gone.